Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good morning. How are you today? Man, we had a great weekend. Uh, City Love was just off the charts yesterday. We had people come out of the woodwork. We had stuff come out of the woodwork. We had vitamins and shampoo and conditioner and lotion and uh, fiber cookies. Uh, Just anything. If you needed it, we had it. I mean, I had vitamins. I didn't even know what they were. Um, Crazy stuff. But it was a great day, and uh, we're excited to be at church today. So, uh, uh, at first, we we preached through books of the Bible, and uh, we just finished up Mark. We believe that the Bible is powerful. It is the Word of God. We believe that if we're going to be like Jesus, we want to be have as much of His Word inside of us, and uh, we believe that it transforms our lives. So we just finished up Mark. Pastor did a phenomenal job talking about obedience last week, and uh, this week we're going to embark on a, uh, a journey through the Book of Romans. Now, the Book of Romans is a it's a letter actually. It's a it's a letter that's written by Paul, and Paul was one of the uh, apostles. He they have the twelve disciples. They became apostles, and, and Paul was lumped in here. And uh, one of the key things things about being an apostle is you had to have seen Jesus in, in the beginning and uh, said to be one of the original apostles, you have to have seen the Lord. And Paul says in one of his letters, he says, I've seen the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that as he was out killing Christians, he was finding Christians and killing them. He was that religious and committed to his faith that uh, the Lord was, knocked him off of his horse, struck him blind, and he had an encounter with Jesus. And so Paul went around and he, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. Um, he has given us so much theologically. A lot of what we study is him laying out in these letters to different churches what they should teach and how they should teach it and giving a defense for the faith and who Jesus was. It was incredible. And who better to do that than somebody who had studied Judaism. He was the Jew of all Jews, uh, he would say. He, uh, he, he lived his life perfectly. Um, he was uh, in, religious in every special step. So imagine like if you were raised Lutheran and you got confirmed at 13. And let's say you weren't a very good Lutheran and you got confirmed at like 17. And somebody else comes along and is like, no, I was confirmed at, at 13. And uh, so they had a little, a little bit of a, uh, a one-up on you. Paul was like, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He, he, right down to, the, to every rule, every regulation, he was exactly on target. He had done everything perfectly, even to the point where he was so committed to being a good Jew that when these other Christians rose up and they didn't believe in Jesus, that he was going around to the point of stoning them, killing them, whatever. As a matter of fact, he was on his way to Damascus to find more Christians to put in prison and to kill when Jesus met him. And so he has a background that comes from being a perfect Jew. And surprisingly, he was also a a, a Greek. Now, in this time period, uh, in, in the early early church, you have the Jews who were, you know, uh, came from Israelites. And then you have like Roman rule that they were the Greeks. They were everybody. They were a hodgepodge. And so because of uh, Paul's bloodline, he was a Jew of all Jews, but he was also a Greek. He was raised in the culture. It would be like somebody who was a Jew, but also raised in Los Angeles or also raised in New York City. They just knew everything about culture. Uh, and, and so Paul was, was uh, educated, um, He was educated by the greatest Jewish scholars, and he was educated in the the Roman system. 
He was very smart. As a matter of fact, he would sit around and talk with philosophers, and he would begin to speak in their own language, right? As, as, uh, have you ever gotten around somebody who spoke a different language? My friend Mike's here. He's an engineer. I'm sure that when we, if we were to sit around, we could talk basketball, we could talk football, but there comes a certain point where Mike would start to talk about engineering things, and I'd be like, bro, you lost me. Right? Have you ever sat someone, with someone like that? It's like they start talking about politics or they start talking about their culture, where they're from, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. For a while, I took a philosophy class in college, and I, I love philosophy, but philosophers talk a whole different language. As a matter of fact, they will blow your mind in a matter of minutes. They'll just start asking these questions. You'd be like, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Well, Paul was religious, but he was also very philosophical. He could speak the language of the philosophers. And so when he writes to the Romans, actually, what we're going to read today is that he comes to them and he says, I know of your, your passion for God. I've heard of how faithful you are. And I, I know I've, I've seen all the results and the fruits of what you've been doing. And this church in Rome, if you can imagine Rome at the time, Rome is the uh, Las Vegas of the day. It's, it's the number one uh, uh, city. It's, it's like New York, Las Vegas, or Los Angeles, but it's also, it's also the height of sin culture is right in Rome, right? It was, if, if you wanted to have sex with somebody, you could have sex with whoever you want. There would be men who were, who were uh, husbands, and they were politicians, and they had their wives, and they would also have a young boy on the side that they would have sex with. It was called their, their pupil. He would educate them, but he would also just have sex with them. They could do whatever they wanted. They would sacrifice to all sorts of gods. They would give blood sacrifice in the street. It's like, oh, I need to go to work today. I need to have a good day. I'm going to slaughter this cow and drench myself in its blood. It's like the height of all sinfulness is Rome. A lot of people think, you know, like uh, that America's gone to hell in a handbasket. Trust me, Rome was far worse than America ever has been and hopefully ever will be. It's like this is a terrible place. And so when he writes, he goes, I'm writing to you Christians in Rome. I'm writing to you who are in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of, the, of all the temptation, of all the worst things. I'm writing to you. As a matter of fact, they're being killed and persecuted during this time, and we're not even to Nero yet. We're Nero, and a few years after this letter, we'll, we'll begin to um, find Christians, and he will shove them through large stakes and light them on fire while they're alive in order to provide lights for events in his city. This is the kind of stuff that's going on for Christians. And Paul's like, I've heard of how faithful you are. He says, like, but yet I still want to come to you and I want to preach the gospel to you. Now, in our life, in the church, the gospel is an interesting thing because we think that the gospel is, is simply the, the message of Jesus, in which it is. And so it would, it would, it would make sense that you would want to go preach the gospel to uh, people who have never heard about Jesus, right? We want to find the far-off village in, uh, you know, in, in New Zealand, and, and we want to climb up the mountains of Africa, and we want, to, we want to reach the places where nobody has yet been. But here's Paul, and he writes to people who are faithful. They're secure. They're doing wonderful things for the gospel, and he says, I want to preach the gospel to you. Paul is doing a great work right in Rome. He's sending a message to these people about the truth of who they are. The truth of who they are. This letter was written about 57 AD. It's about 25 years uh, after Jesus has died. We have amazing things going on. Paul is, is traveling all over the Mediterranean. He's building churches, but he has never yet gone 
to Rome. His desire is to go to Rome. He wants to go there so badly to visit the church, and he never quite gets there. And so he unfolds this letter. It's 11 chapters of straight doctrine. Now, doctrine is, is our, our system of how we believe. It's, it's what we know to be true. And so what Paul lays out in the first 11 chapters of Rome is so detailed that, that it is, is so clear about who we are and what Christ means to us, and it's where we derive a lot of our soteriology. It's our, it's our doctrine of being saved. And then the last five chapters are very practical about how to live out once you're saved. And so we're going to go on this journey. It's about 16 chapters, and we're going we're to develop um, and, and root you in what God has for your life, what it means to be saved, and the power of God's gospel in your life. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. Chapter 1 and verse 8 says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his Son as my witness, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the power of God unto salvation. We thank you that you have given us an answer, a solution for everything in our lives. And Lord, I pray right now, as we look into your word, as we grow in who you are and what you have for us, that you would reveal yourself in greater ways to each of us. Each of us have a different place, a different place we're at in life, a point where which we need to meet you. God, I pray that you would develop us, in you, exactly where we need. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I grew up, um, I, was, uh, I was a good Christian. You know what I mean? Like I got saved at six, and uh, six years old, I was in uh, a Sunday school class with, with Helen Summy, and, and we prayed a prayer, and she's like, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, and I was like, a little Jewish man in my life seems like a really good thing. And so I, I folded my hands, and she prayed, and, and I repeated this prayer. And then I, th I thought that was cool. And then, she, you know what, she went and told my dad. You know, like, she's like, I got the number one harvest of the whole entire church. I got the pastor's kids saved. And it's like, so uh, I come home, and my dad's like, did something happen to you today, son? It's like, uh, no, I don't think so. And he's like, did you invite Jesus to come into your life? And I said, of course, I invited a little Jewish man to live in my life. And he began to talk about it. I felt really embarrassed, and it was just kind of awkward. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm saved. 
Okay? And all of us have this, this, this kind of experience probably in our lives. We've all come to this place. We know about a prayer. Or maybe we went to a Billy Graham crusade or maybe we were at a certain service or we raised our hand or somebody just led us um, to Jesus in their house after they went to VBS and told us to pray a certain prayer and fold your hands together and, and we became saved. Now for me, um, it, was, it was the beginning of this, this righteousness journey of which I began to uh, follow after God. Now I went to church all the time and I've said before that I've probably been in more churches, services than anybody in this building and uh, maybe exception of Pastor Block, but I've been to a lot of church services. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was always in Sunday school. I always, you know, like even when I, we were gone from the church, I was at a different church going to Sunday school. So I always had perfect attendance. Like the, the, the Sunday school teacher would be like, now we're going to give an award for perfect attendance. And I was like, that's mine. Like I always knew I was going to win because I always had the right thing. I, I was always in the right place at the right time. Now, my dad would come to me and he would he'd be like, son, I, I noticed that you're getting angry. And that's not very good. You need to release that anger to God. You need to be less angry. And so I would, I would follow after that, and, and uh, I would try to be the best kid I could be. And, uh, and one, one time, I was grounded one time in my whole entire life, one time. Uh, it was because my mom said to be home at 2 o'clock, and I didn't come home until 5 p.m. And so the next day, I had to, uh, the whole entire day, I couldn't go anywhere. I was literally grounded at the house. So one time I was grounded. Some of you guys were like, geez, okay. Like I was a good kid, right? I was so good that um, my dad, uh, he had a rule in our house. We couldn't have our ears pierced because that's unholy. So I never got my ears pierced, even though Michael Jordan himself had his ears pierced. I was at a friend's house one time, and this kid was like, Mom, Michael Jordan has his ear pierced. Like how, how much more, you know, just like good person. That's how, how highly we thought of Michael Jordan. Like he was the perfect guy, right? And uh and he's like, please let me have my ears pierced. And his mom was like, no. And I was like, I knew not to even ask my dad to have my ears pierced. I wanted like, you know, the chain dangling thing like Ira has, you know, cross hanging off of a chain. Um, but I never could. Um, and so later on, my brother Johnny, he was like around 16, 17 years old. He was like, dad, I want my ears pierced. And he was like, sure, son. And he took him down to the mall. And I had to stand here watching this like, and not only did he get his ears pierced, he got both ears pierced. And it wasn't some kind of like magic stud. It was like he had like giant hoops, looking like Barry Bonds walking around. It was crazy. And I'm like, I'm like, what happened to me? I was the good kid. I had so many rules in my life. It was like, it was like, you cannot listen to secular music. So like when I was six years old, we were riding around the neighborhood and somebody'd be like, what's your favorite song? And all I knew was this one song that I heard on the radio that wasn't a gospel song. You know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't a Christian song. So um, they were like, what's your favorite song? I was like, I just called to say I love you. That was my favorite song, you know, because it was the only one I knew. It was like, I just called. And some of you 80s people are like, oh, yeah, it's a good song. <laughs> to say how much I care, right? It's good stuff. That's all I knew how to do. It's like my, my, brother, uh, my brothers played in bands. They played in, in Christian bands that went all around the world. Um, but when I was young, I, I really idolized them, and they played music, and, and they, they played in Christian bands. But I had another uh, a cousin who played in a, a, a Christian rock band, okay? So this is like heavy metal, okay, there was no screaming, uh, Christian heavy metal, a band called Petra, you might have heard Petra, um, 
And, and they sang songs like, red is the color of the blood. That's how hard they were. Like, yeah. The blood that flowed down the face of someone who loved us so. He's the perfect man. He's God's own son. This is the kind of music they sang, okay? And uh, they're like uh, talking about the, the righteousness of God and the beam of seat judgment. And when the grave robber comes like a thief in the night and the rapture of the church and all this. It's like so theologically sound. I was like, Dad, I was like, I was like, sure. I can listen to Petra. I was like, Dad, can I listen to Petra? He's like, no, son. I'm like, why not? Like, my own cousin's in the band. He's like, no, it's Christian rock. It's like, you need to listen to good gospel music. Gospel music. And, uh, you know, like, I, I thought I was over this. As a matter of fact, like, Michael Jackson was really popular in the 80s. I, there was a garage sale down the street, and so my mom gave me, like, allowance, and so I went to the garage sale down the street, and they had a Michael Jackson shirt. It was like Michael Jackson. It was like a a baseball tee, you know, like colored sleeves, white body, and uh, it had this like iron on of Michael Jackson, like the side pose, you know, like uh, it was all great albums have this, and there was like I think it was like a like a, maybe like a a Bengal tiger or a, a white a Siberian tiger like laying next to him and I got this Michael Jackson shirt for like a quarter and I came home thinking my dad is never going to let me wear this shirt. Uh, but I wore it and I rocked out so I thought maybe Michael Jackson's okay, right? Uh, man in the mirror, like I'm, I'm asking him to change his ways. It's so gospel. Uh, I, I can't even take it, right? So what if he grabs his crotch? I know that Michael Jackson knows Jesus. And so like, I remember I was in second grade, and I was at my brother's house, and they, my, my brother lived, you know, in a different house, and, uh, and we're hanging out, and they were watching MTV, and MTV was like, I might as well be going to hell for watching it, but I went to my brother's house, and they're watching MTV, and I was like, we can watch this? And they're like, yeah, it's cool, just don't tell dad. So... My stupid butt, I go back home, and I'm like, dude, you got to see this Michael Jackson. I'm talking about this Michael Jackson video, Smooth Criminal. I was like, dude, Michael, Michael Jackson, like, lays over on his face. It comes back up, and I'm like, this is so cool. And then he, like, he like whoa, and he throws a quarter across the way, and it goes into the jukebox. Like, Dad, you, this is amazing. And he's like, son, what have you been watching over there at your brother's house? I was like, yeah, but the, the cat walks across the, the piano. And... Uh, He's like, do I need to stop you from going over to your brother's house? He's like, no, sir. It's okay. I'm watching that crap over there. We only listen to gospel. Okay. I went on to develop an addiction to secular music. <laughs> Sneak off to friends' houses. Watch their MTV come back and try to act like nothing happened. Uh, but gospel was the way that we lived our life. It's the gospel. Music. So I would, I would get CDs and, and tapes, and my brother, for my you know, Christmas, gave me all these gospel CDs. And in these gospel CDs, he slipped Nirvana's Nevermind CD in there. <laughs> And I opened it up, and I felt such guilt as I, like, went through. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. This would be so great. And I was like, and everything inside me was so giddy because I was like, Kurt Cobain is, like, the coolest guy on the planet. And, and I was like, I can't have this one. I gave it back to him because it wasn't gospel. It wasn't gospel. 
It's like, what do you mean you can't have that? It's like, it has a naked baby on the front, Dave. I mean, like, what do you want me to do? Like, dad's going to know this one isn't gospel. <laughs> the gospel. I, uh, I started making mixtapes. You know, you know, like, you guys have, like, this, I don't know what it is. I had a cassette player. I had a leather jacket because it was the 90s. And I had a Walkman with, you know, some earbuds. And I would put it in the, right here. So I would make a, a mixtape because you had cassettes. You'd go around to all your friends who had CDs, and you could burn off all the songs you want. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't burning then. I don't know what we called it, dubbing or something, you know. So you, you get a little cassette tape, and you record it, and you get a mix of all the songs you want. So I had, like, Dr. Dre on there, and I had Jodeci, and I had Mary J. Blige, and all stuff just tucked away in my coat. Um, and and I, I listened to that most of the time, and I was, like, a freshman, eighth grade freshman in high school. And, uh, and I was sitting in study hall, and I had a different tape in there. I didn't have my mixtape that I listened to all the time. I had a, a tape, some of you guys don't even know what this is, but Spirogyra. And Spirogyra is a smooth jazz album. Um, it's not smooth jazz, it's, it's fusion. And so it's all playing and no, no talking. It's just... I listened to this stuff when I was a freshman, and so I had this in my study hall. And... Uh, I left it sitting there, went to the bathroom, came back. Well, my, this kid who was like upperclassman, he comes over and uh, he grabs my Walkman and listens to it while I'm gone because I think he just wanted to listen to maybe some Dr. Dre, but I didn't have any. I had Spirogyra. And so I had, I had developed a reputation for being kind of a music guy and, uh, and people appreciated my musical taste for the most part, but they didn't realize I was listening to crazy stuff like Spirogyra on the low key. And so I had escaped my gospel um, father <laughs> for my shameful addiction to secular music and uh, so he comes along and he grabs my, my Walkman listens to it and it, I come back and it's sitting there and he's like dude what is in your Walkman is that gospel and I'm like no this is not gospel at first I was, I was kind of like you know like uh Standoffish. I was. I was hurt a little bit. I was insecure about it. But I was also thinking, like, dude, this is so ungospel. You don't even know what gospel is, bro. And I, like, there's no organ in that. There's no like, uh, you know, old-fashioned steel guitar. There's no Bill Gaither. I was so offended that he would call my Spirogyra gospel because everybody has an idea of what gospel should be, but most of the time, it is not what gospel is. Everybody has, you know, this, this gospel genre thing. As a matter of fact, we've all set up in our minds an idea of what, of what uh, it means to come to the gospel or to hear the gospel or to sing gospel. It's all of these things that we, we put into this idea, but none of them are actually the gospel. They just kind of reflect the gospel. And I would wonder if, if maybe if, if Paul were like, I want to come preach the gospel to you, if, if you would be like, you know what, I'm good. I, I already know the gospel. He'd be like, no, you don't know this gospel. Like, because we have an idea. It's like, I know what gospel is. It's what's in Brandon's Walkman. As if a Walkman could contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. As if somehow a song could be the gospel. As if somehow, you know, this good news, just because a, a certain book says the gospel, would be um, uh, 
life-changing thing or, or if, if a certain teaching or a certain um, something you put a label on would be enough to be called the gospel, but it's simply not because the gospel is so much greater. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I want to come and preach you the gospel. And then he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, most of the time, I didn't want anybody to know that I listened to gospel music. You listen to stuff my dad listened to. As a matter of fact, I was listening to some, uh, one time I was listening to something in the car, and Reagan goes, this looks like, this is, this sounds like the crap that, uh, she didn't say crap. Maybe I just said that. She's like, this sounds like the stuff that Pop Pop and Aunt Betty Ann listened to. I was like, as a matter of fact, it does, Reagan. It's like, this is what I had to listen to growing up. And most of us are listening to an idea of the gospel. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You should behave. And so for most of my life, I lived a good gospel life. I didn't do the things a lot of other people did. I ran away from what other people did. As a matter of fact, as a skateboarder, skateboarders were like, um, you know, I was like, I was like the original Christian skateboarder, you know. Like, I was like the one kid who didn't smoke, one kid who didn't listen to Sepultura, who didn't listen to DRI. He doesn't even know who these bands are. Uh, DRI is Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. Um, uh, it's all sorts of punk music and then anthrax, all of that stuff. These guys are listening to that. Uh, we're all skating around, and I, I was away from all of that. As a matter of fact, I was like, I was like uh, one kid was like handing out cigarettes to everybody and uh, smoking, and I was like, no, nah, I don't need a cigarette. I don't smoke. And he says, yeah, that's because you're effing religious block. Like his idea was attached to the way I live my life. And sometimes we are so uh, compartmentalized in the faith that we just go, yeah, I don't do that. I don't do this. I'm, I'm the kind of Christian that can drink. I'm the kind of Christian that can, that can go to rated R movies, which I could not go to. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of, I, I wanted to get a, a job at the movie theater. And, and dad was like, absolutely not. You're not working. At, you didn't call it the movie theater. It was called the movie house. Like it was some kind of place you went to and it sucked you in and you had to stay there forever. Like you're not working at the movie house. He's like, I was like, why not? He's like, well, for instance, about a year ago, they had a movie through there and they put it up on the, the marquee, the title of the movie was Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. You're not working at a place that has that. I was like, but my sister-in-law manages the movie theater. It's kind of stuff I had to put up with. Aren't you glad? But the life in the gospel is not about abstaining so that you can be good. A life in the gospel is power that moves you from death to life. And because you've been moved from death to life, some things just won't work in a living life. Like, for instance, when you're dead, they're going to take you to a morgue. They're going to inject you with a bunch of stuff to keep you looking halfway pretty until they can get you to a funeral where they'll lay you out. You can be pumped full of all sorts of stuff, formaldehyde, Right? Try pumping formaldehyde in your body today while you're living. Not going to go so well for you. But stuff that exists in your dead life can't live in your new life. It's the gospel. Some stuff is your old thinking. It existed in your dead life, can't exist 
in your new life. It's the gospel. Some of your habits, some of your hang-ups, some of your aspirations you had over here can't exist over here. Because the gospel is actually death to life. How do we know this? Paul's going to lay it out for 11 chapters. But what happens is not just a little prayer. It's not just a little six-year-old downstairs in the basement. It's not just... Uh, it's not just not listening to certain music. It's like, as a matter of fact, you can't topically force action that doesn't come from deep within your soul because it won't last. You can keep a kid from doing a whole lot of things, like Johnny not piercing his ears for 16 years, but eventually it's going to come out. Like, he's like, my brother Dave, like, I came, I came, my brother Dave is like ultimate example. Like, we could just, we could just talk, I could preach a whole sermon about me and Dave. Okay, one time Dave comes home, and he's like 36, 37. Maybe, no, he's not that. He's like 26, 27, maybe. Maybe he's 30. I don't know. He's old. <laughs> Comes home, has his ear pierced. And I'm like, you got your ear pierced? And he's like, yeah. He's like, dad will hate it. <laughs> because he's been taught topical things, but never really living out the new life. So when Paul says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I've heard of your faithfulness. I've heard of your life that reflects the new life in Christ. I've heard how you're new. You're doing great mighty things. There's probably miracles, signs, and wonders following you everywhere. He's like, but I'm going to come and preach the gospel to you. I need you to hear it again because it's so easy to move into topical things that feel like they're righteousness, but they aren't righteous living in your heart. The Bible would say this, one version in, in, in the New Testament says, stop assuming an outward expression that doesn't come from within you. Stop assuming some kind of gospel life that doesn't come from deep within your soul. And so when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto your salvation. Not your gospel living, not your cute little song, not your not getting your ears pierced or not working at the movie house or whatever it is that you think is gospel. It is not gospel until you live it out in power. It is salvation that comes from God alone. And Paul's going to have to spend 11 chapters in convincing you, first of all, that anything that you're doing is not life until you have Christ alive in you. So he says, it is the power of God unto salvation. The word there is soterio. It is salvation. Okay? But it comes from this root word sozo. It looks like this. Sozo is actually to save. To save. Now, if you were alive in the 70s and 80s, um, being saved was a really big deal. Like Jesus saves, you know, on the sign, whatever, bumper stickers, I'm saved. We had to still, I'm saved to the utter, that's gospel, to the uttermost. I know that I am. I've been washed in the blood of the risen lamb. We're saved. When did you get saved? Are you saved, brother? Let me tell you about saved. But what does it mean? For most of us, it equates to a day that we said a prayer, and then we got saved. 
Some of us even have a card. This is my salvation. I got saved on this day. I had, a, I had a kid in the youth group who stood right here, and we said a prayer, and he got saved. Like this is, I was like, this is your day, man. This is the day everything changes in your life. He went and got that junk tattooed on his arm. True story. It's like, that's awesome, man. But are you saved in your soul? Are you new? You said a prayer. You live in the gospel on the outside, but are you living the gospel on the inside? So what is sozo? Sozo is this, it means to save. But if you, if you get down dirty with the word, it means this, to be properly delivered. Properly delivered. Have you ever met somebody's need and it wasn't the right need? Like, I have a 13-year-old daughter. I can meet her needs all day long. And it seems like the next day it's not the right need. You know what I mean? Like, what happened to yesterday? Yeah, it's, it's not what I needed. <laughs> those are broken. Those are crap. I don't like those. Oh, those are dank. Whatever they, they all these words for, for all these things. Like, not the right thing. And so sometimes when you, when you get involved in this Jesus thing, somebody goes, hey, you need to do this. And you need to do this. And, and so many times it's not the right thing. You were delivered from maybe smoking, right? You stopped smoking. Oh, man, I was delivered from cigarettes. But you're not delivered from your pornography. Oh, man, you, you gave up, you know, listening to that other stuff. All I listen to is Caleb, and it's so good, I don't even listen to Belinda Carlisle anymore. I only, but I still gossip and talk about everybody behind their back. I'm still hopeless. I'm still depressed. I still can't get it together in my soul because you're living gospel on the outside, but not on the inside. You haven't been properly delivered. Properly delivered. Another word is this. He comes to save, which is where we get our word to save. And he says, it is also to heal. This word is, is used in conjunction with people being physically healed. And the next thing is to preserve. Preserve. Now, most of my life, like I, I've, I've mentioned this before, like I got saved probably 300 times in 1982. It's not quite every day of the year, but I had to get saved every single day. You're like, 82, like, yeah, I was four years old, but it was rough in the streets. But it's true, like, I, I that's not true. It's true that I, I had to get saved a lot, right? I felt like I was, it was all on me to, to be saved, to, to live this righteous life, and I was missing out on the gospel, which is God saves his people, and then he preserves his people. If he brings you into the family, it's so that you can be a part of the family. Not, it's not a trial basis. It's not like I got saved, power, delivered, and then maybe next week if I, if I make it past the, the, you know, the period of, of, of judgment, then maybe he'll keep me. He brings you in, and he keeps you. He preserves you. This is the kind of God we serve that he properly delivers you. The whole idea of salvation is illustrated in this Old Testament principle of the children of Israel. And most of us know uh, a little bit about it. Most of us know this one huge story, which is Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Because before that, the Israelites were in bondage. 
They're in bondage. They were slaves. And every single day they would go and make bricks and they would have to, to build the city. And, and they, they were beat down and they were, they were dying and they, they had nothing to eat. The Bible says that they eat onions and leeks, which is terrible food, I think. Um, I had leeks during the fast and I don't know. Don't want leeks and anything else ever again. Um, but leeks and onions, what they ate, it was, it was a terrible life. They were under bondage. And the Bible says that when Moses came and said, let my people go, it came down to uh, death sweeping over Egypt that then the Israelites left and crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness wasn't supposed to be a wilderness thing. It was supposed to be deliverance. And for years, I was like, why, why did they get saved from slavery to go just on a campering trip? Because camping is brutal. Nobody else? Just me and Josh? Okay. What's worse is going camping in August. That's what all my friends want to go camping. They want to go camping. No, I'm not going camping. They go camping for 40 years in the desert. And out here, they, the Bible says they just grumble and complain. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I know grumbling and complaining by camping. I get it. Waking up in a tent just covered in, drent, uh, covered in sweat. And you're like, what is the problem with people? And here they are. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. They don't have the right food. They don't have the right stuff. It's like everything is just one thing after the other. And God keeps providing for them and keeps providing for them. But what happens in their minds is they start to long for the old life. They're like, why can't we go back to Egypt? As a matter of fact, when they're facing the Red Sea, they think it's over, and God has just delivered them from Egypt, and in their minds, they are saying, why don't we go back to Egypt? Were there no graves there? I mean, couldn't you just kill us there? You're going to kill us now? Why can't we? They get out in the wilderness, and they don't have anything to eat that's, that's pleasurable to them. They're like, we could go back to Egypt, and we could at least have... Uh, uh, onions and leeks, and God is raining down food from heaven for them, and they're sick of it because it's, you know, like when you eat McDonald's too many times, like, I'm just sick of this. So they're getting the same thing every single day, and they're like, can we just go back and eat leeks and onions? Can we just go back to our old life? And Paul says the power of God is to completely Deliver, it's to properly deliver you. And the problem is a lot of Christians are not living the fullness of what God has for them because in their mentality, they're still over here in death thinking about how good it is and they're not living the true gospel, which is death to real life. Properly delivered. So we're willing to just put up a little dead stuff in our life. We're willing to just live addicted. We're willing to just live with, with the same old attitudes, the same old feelings, the same old emotions, never getting to where God wants us, which is to be properly delivered, <laughs> saved. Paul is trying to get across, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is, is the power to properly deliver you properly deliver you. I wonder where in your life you are living in an attitude towards God because he didn't do what he said he did where you thought he should have showed up. You're putting up with the same slavery. As a matter of fact, you've probably just asked God to be a better slave. 
You're like, you know what, God, if you could just you could help me get over this. If you could just help me live with this. Help me endure this. All the while, you haven't properly looked at whether it's death or life. Some stuff in your life, you need to lay it down and walk out of Egypt with and move into a place of life. Because if you don't, you're not living the gospel. You're just not working at a movie theater that, that shows sex lies and videotapes. Which I didn't work there when that happened, just so you know. You're just not listening to the music everybody listens to. You just maybe stopped gossiping, you know, when your church friends were listening. You stopped thinking about the things you used to think about sometimes. Stop living in darkness, embracing the places. And we sit over here and we go, you know what? It's always going to be this way. I will live in death. I'm saved. But this is my life. God has never called you to that. He's called you to be properly delivered. The next part of the verse, uh, can you give me Romans, the last, should be the last window. Uh, for I'm not ashamed of the power of God. Next one. That brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Because it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You're going to find out that in Romans, Paul is going to deal with your belief system. Because you've been tricked into thinking the gospel is so outwardly, but it's actually inwardly. The, the gospel is not a one-time event. The gospel is not an action. It is continuous power for your life. So when Jesus says, everyone who calls on my name believes in me, has faith in me, I will save. Faith is continuous. It's putting your trust in God in every single circumstance. And so usually what we're doing is we're existing in circumstances and we're trying to live out how we think God would want us to act, but not having faith or belief in that God actually delivers us. I bet you could probably think right now of the thing that you're living in, the thing that you're consisting with, consisting of, the thing that, you're, that you are continually living out again and again and again and again. You go, God, this is just me trying to be good. I'm trying to do better. And we say things like this. Well, you know, I'm just a poor old sinner. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, you know what? I'm just struggling. You know, I'm just going through. You know what? I'm just, I just trying to be better for Jesus. You know, all of the things that we say is not the gospel. The gospel is I am living in newness of life, but in order to live in that righteous power, you've got to live it by faith. And faith, the Bible says, is being sure of things that you can't even touch. I don't know. It says that God will supply all my needs, but right now I'm broke as a joke. Maybe his provision will come as you believe and trust him for what he said. I don't know, it says that, you know, sozo is healing, but I don't feel so healed right now. We'll take some fish oil and keep believing by faith. You know, I don't, I don't know, my, 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 my mind's just working against me. I don't know, I, I just have all of these thoughts. I just can't control it. Well, the last time I checked, you got to believe in faith that God has given you the mind of Christ, that he's living in you, that he is fulfilling everything 
delivering you again and again and again, properly delivering you. And Romans is going to live out this idea, old life, new life, flesh, spirit, old, new, flesh, spirit. And he says it starts with the power of God in your life if you'll believe it by faith. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this verse people's Facebook on their arm tattooed on their arm I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and most times on the, on the back of their car I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed we are the you know generation of the unashamed we're unashamed and most of the time the people who are preaching it so big preaching it so big are in straight bondage. Majority of the people that brag about this verse, they just want to go around and tell everybody how to live their life. I'm unashamed, man. You need to live your life right. You need to follow Jesus. You need to get saved, man. Listen to some gospel music. And the person is sitting over in death going, I just can't. I can't. I can't. Good for you, Brandon. Your dad never gave you alcohol when you were 15. Good for you. Your dad always took you to church. Good for you. When you were just a little bit angry, your dad sat you down and gave you talking to. Good for you. When you lied to him, he spanked the snot out of you. I mean, literally snot just coming down my nose. So I learned not to lie to his face. All those are topical things which didn't fix my life. It wasn't until I got a a hold of the power of of Jesus Christ that my life began to change. It wasn't until I began changed on the inside. And guess what? I'm just like the church at Rome. Like I had good things. People like, oh man, everything you're doing is so good, Brandon. I I was at my senior uh, reception, you know, like the graduation reception. And this guy comes like, man, you have such a good name around town. It's just Everybody just talks about how good you are. It wasn't long before people started not saying that about me. Not Jennifer Potter. She always says good stuff about me. And then what? Then what? Then what when you don't have the perfect name? Then what when you don't have the right actions? Then what if, if, you, if you started off on the wrong base to begin with? You're sitting on third base trying to go the opposite way. I was like, nope, come on back, bro. That's the way you go. Already on the wrong base. It's the power of God that delivers you. Stuff in your soul like, God, will I ever be free from this? Will I ever be able to mentally get past that? Will I ever get past this addiction? Will I ever not be so drawn to this that it's like I cannot even be near that person anymore? Will I ever get past this? Because it says that you have power for that. He says, yeah, but you got to live it by faith. You got to walk it out by faith. You got to believe when I say that you're new, you're new. You got you to walk in this newness. It is the power of God. And so if you're not continually talking about and, and reading about and hearing about how God has saved you so completely, people will tell you all sorts of things. Well, you know, that's just something you got to live with. God can heal me. No, God doesn't heal everybody. He doesn't want to heal everybody. Sometimes you're just going to have to live with that. 
Maybe he's teaching you a lesson. You know, mentally, like, and I'm all for counseling, and if, and if you need to have a little help with some drugs, you might need to take it. But most of you don't. You're just living over here with a name tag somebody put on you. God delivered you. But you won't live it by faith because all you see is the thing that keeps attacking you. Delivers you from death. Delivers you from demons. Delivers you from sin. Delivers you from you. God delivers. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you forget that power, I'm here to tell you just like Paul told one of the most powerful churches in all of the land, I'm here to preach the gospel to you, which is Jesus Christ comes to save sinners. He comes to deliver. He comes to save so completely. That's what he does. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I'm so proud of ES First in this church. So proud of where God has brought us to what they want to do, what God is doing and what, what the people want to do because they just feel called by God. How much greater could we be if we just lived out the simple gospel of Jesus? Just God delivers and he makes new. God delivers and he makes new. God saves and he makes new. If you're here today, say, Brandon, I need, I, I need what you're talking about. I've been saved, I said a prayer, I've been living this out, but I, I need it in a greater way. And it's going to embark on a journey because it's not always easy to go through and just reshape your mind. Romans talks about that in Romans 12, transforming your mind, living out in the spirit, which Romans is going to talk about in chapter 7, chapter 6, chapter 8. He's going to lay it out, and it's going to be a journey. This is the perfect time to say yes to God's walk on your life. God, develop me into who you want me to be. I don't want to be just a top, topical gospel Christian. I want to be a new, saved, delivered Christian. It's you tonight. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. God, we thank you for my friends in this room. They're here. They want to believe in greater ways. Give them a greater revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which moves from death to life, that does great and mighty things and transforms us by the power of your spirit. And just as we've declared today that the righteous will live by faith, the ones in right standing with God will live by faith, the delivered, the saved will live by faith, the ones that are more than conquerors will live by faith. We believe you even when we don't see it. When we go home like, I thought this was dead, it is finished by the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives right here. Transform the world through these people. And Lord, help the chiefs. In Jesus' name, amen.